Hello again, and welcome to the famous CFC podcast, where each episode offers a deep dive into the wonderful history of Chelsea Football Club. My name's Gary Barone, and I'm joined as ever by fantastic club historian Rick Glanville. And today, Mr. Glanville was celebrating 75 years of Chelsea supporters clubs and discovering the original body that forged links between the men and women on the terraces and the people running the club and brought fans together in very difficult days. But we are indeed. I think you're wishing me a happy 75th birthday. Some people think that, but no. <laughs> it's a happy birthday to the Chelsea Away Supporters Club. Um, so let's start the beginning, shall we? This year marks the 75th anniversary of a message being published in the Chelsea programme for Burnley's visit on 21st of April 1948, advising supporters who are interested in travelling to our away matches next season will be pleased to hear that a supporters club for this purpose will be organised by Mr C.G. Barnes. 111 Stony Park Road, Yule, Surrey, telephone, Yule 2973, uh, from whom particulars may be obtained. Well, Mr Barnes, I'm not actually sure what the C stood for, but possibly Cecil. Um, Chelsea. Or Chris, or Chelsea even, (laughs) quite right, was inundated with applications. And uh, within weeks... From the start of the 1948-49 season, this pioneering organisation, the Chelsea Away Supporters Club, was running coach trips to far-flung places right across pre-motorway England. We know what sort of people signed up back in those days. Kind of, yes. Um, And in fact, we'll hear the words from one of the founders in a while, but for context, let's think about this being that in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of World War II, which had blown a, a six-year hole in people's lives, really. London was still a bomb site, grey and largely joyless. And the welfare state was only just arriving because, of course, it's the 75th anniversary of the National Health Service and the welfare state that we're also uh, celebrating this year in England. Um, but back in '48, young people wanted a better deal and social groups where they could meet and mingle uh, were springing up everywhere. And what's interesting, I suppose, in that context of trying to find love matches and, you know, uh, fragmented lives being brought back together, is that the membership of the Chelsea Supporters Group, the Chelsea Away Supporters Group, I should say, in the original name, was 50-50 men and women. And often older women joined in some cases, I'm told, just for the day out in, say, glamorous Sheffield, Blackpool or Newcastle. And they organised lots of posh uh, events, including dinner dances at wonderful, sumptuous venues, including an end-of-season affair that eventually, in 1967, spawned the first Player of the Year award, then called the Joe Mears Memorial Trophy, which was claimed by... The cat. And yes. for you younger listeners, that is the great Peter Bonetti. So the play, Player of the Year award that we know today, mm-hmm. recently won by Thiago Silva, yes. originated in 1967 thanks to the Chelsea Supporters Club. Fantastic. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And I also remember the club's shop on the corner opposite Fulham Broadway Tube Station selling all sorts of Chelsea merchandise. Yeah, the building's now been replaced. But yes, the Supporters Club also had a commercial out at, at 547 Fulham Road. Remember, you had to navigate uh, uh, yeah. an old wooden <laughs> staircase to book travel to away games on coaches or trains. And 
But on the ground floor, it sold merch like scarves, programs, badges, pennants and silk cravats. I'm sure you had one, Sav. Well, I, I did have a silk scarf, but it actually went purple after a few years. But um, a cravat, I think, is more up your strata, isn't it, Rick? <laughs> I think you're right. Actually, I did own late 70s, loads of those silk scarves, you know, with Ray Wilkins images on them and things like that, that you we used to sort of tie on our sleeves, like yeah. so many affiliates of um, the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> did, did that make us look hard, do you think? Absolutely. Fearsome bunch. <laughs> anyway, it's time to introduce our very special guest, Margaret Whittich, current chair of the original Chelsea Supporters Club. Welcome to the Famous CFC podcast, Margaret. Yes, welcome, Thank Margaret. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Margaret, everyone has a white Chelsea story. So what's yours? Right. White Chelsea story is a family story. Uh, not my parents. My parents hated football, um, except my dad liked the five sides. He would take me to the five sides at Wembley, but that was uh. all. Uh, so uh, we lived in the next street to our grandparents' house. So every night after school, it was round to the grandparents' house to play football in the backyard with an uncle and a cousin. Brilliant. And at that point, I only had male cousins. I do have a female cousin now, but so obviously the playing football, um, <laughs> it, it basically rubbed off to me, onto me. What position did you play, Margaret? It was a small backyard, so you just oh. kicked it. I mean, it yeah. was like, <laughs> every position. <laughs> it was no, no, it was just, I don't know. Um, and uncles at that point went to games and my, my cousin who was younger than me was allowed to go on his own, which actually quite surprised me in, in bearing in mind, my first game was 1970. Uh, anyway, the uncles would not take me. That's terrible. Um, I guess because I was a girl, that's mm. all I can think of being the girl, they wouldn't take me. So, uh, a family friend who was an Arsenal supporter Oof. felt very sorry for me. And got us tickets, my brother and I. Because they used to take my brother, who's four years younger than me, but they didn't take me. Mm. And so um, this Arsenal friend got we got tickets for, you know, the two of us and him to go. And that was it. Booked. <laughs> and then one uncle kind of thought, oh, she's a bit serious about this. Um, and so started taking me. Um and, and if you see me on Facebook, he's now the one that if I do a lot of games in a week, he starts taking the mickey out of me that that's all I do is go and watch Chelsea. But I keep reminding him, it's your fault. You took me. <laughs> <laughs> that was how it, that was how it started. And it hasn't stopped since, as Rick knows. <laughs> well, I've been seeing you. We've been seeing each other home and away for years, haven't we? And I think yeah. we just worked out that it's 17 years you've been chair of the I, I couldn't believe Chelsea that. Supporters I really Club. <laughs> I just said it to Roy and he didn't know it was that long ago either. <laughs> how did you get into, how did that come about? What was your involvement with the club initially? I'd been committee member, I'd been committee member for a, a long time. I'd, I'd been secretary uh, for a long time. Um, and then, you know, we lost dear Ron Hawkins mm -hmm. and needed a new chair. And it was Peter Kemp who actually put me forward. He said, we need somebody who is involved with the club and goes to the games. And they asked me if I would do it. And I said, I would only do it if Roy, my partner, was vice chair. And that's that's how that came about. 
you mentioned involvement with the club. What what was in what sense? Well, to be honest, at that stage it wasn't. Um, mm. but I did go to games and people knew me, yeah. you know, it was in the times when you knew the players maybe more and because I watch all levels of Chelsea, not just the first yes. team. Yes. Um, you know, we, we had good relationships and still do with all levels of the club. And the women now you watch? And the women, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication. It got, it, well, it got to the stage, I, I was determined I'm not going to get to watch the women away. I think I watched enough Chelsea already. And I think I'll put my foot down on that one. No, I'm not going to start watching the women away. But having said that, having said that, having no first team uh, Europe next year, we're thinking about doing some of the women away in Europe because it's different places, much, you know, different atmosphere, cheap affairs because nobody realises you're going. Yes, of course. <laughs> so watch this space. And all this time, are you a teacher? I was a teacher, yeah, I'm retired now. <laughs> well, when, when I retired, I mean, this is, a, I think, a funny story. My head teacher uh, called me and said, what was I going to do? So I said, retire. So he said, oh, he said, what are you going to do? So I, he said, I can send you on a course, what to do in retirement. <laughs> so I said, no, no, Raymond, don't worry. I said, I'm going to watch more Chelsea. So he started laughing. He said, only you could say you were going to watch more Chelsea. And I said, well, put it this way. The last few years, Roy's been watching Chelsea in Europe and I haven't been able to go. Guess what? He won't be going on his own anymore. So I didn't need a course what to do in retirement. <laughs> I should think not. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Margaret, looking back over the 75-year history of the Chelsea brackets away, closed bracket supporters club, <laughs> as it was way back in 1948, it is quite remarkable how many names including your own, Margaret, are woven into the tapestry of the club's heritage. People like Arthur Meadows, Mick Mears, Ian Rennie, and, of course, the great chronicler of the blues, Ron Hawkins. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I started writing a few names down that, you know, some people know and some people don't. Um, you know, people like Peter Kemp, who who got so many people going on their uh, programme collections. Um, and, and every so often, people, we've got a Facebook page, which is very well used, and lots of people put like old photographs of the old shop, five four seven Fulham Road. Can we yeah. talk about um, that later? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the names of the people, who are the ones that was that you, you know, because of your long involvement, who are the significant uh, pioneers, if you like, uh, for the well, people like I mean, in the old days, people like Arthur Meadows and mm. indeed Mick Mears, who I didn't particularly know until his latter years, but they were involved both with the club and with the supporters' club. Um, it, it's something now that we don't do, um, but uh, you know, they're they're kind of the pioneers, really. I, I would say they're probably and Jack Rosin, I guess, was around oh, yeah. um, for quite a while. Um, they're they're the, the older ones that I knew. Did you know? Um, I mean, Arthur Meadows was something of a, a club institu institution too, as you as you mentioned, because he grew up a stone's throw from the ground on Holmead Road, didn't he? And uh, son of a grave digger. Don't know if you knew that. No, he I was, didn't know that. <laughs> he was um, selling programs at the bridge from the age of ten until and that was that was nineteen fourteen when he was ten, and he did that till he was eighteen. Um, and then he joined, he was one of the early joiners of the Chelsea Away Supporters 
a club in the late 40s, first as social secretary and then general secretary. And then he handled, I think, probably around your time, um, public relations, wasn't it, that he did? Yeah. All, being, all while he was on the grounds, uh, ground staff and admission staff at, at the bridge in his later years. And he died in um, 91, age 87. So it was a complete commitment to Chelsea Football Club. What sort of a person was Arthur? You knew him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know him that well, but yeah, I mean, he was just dedicated, I think, to whatever he did. Uh, the other role we had at the supporters club was, if I remember rightly, he used to run the football team. Yes, he did. He played, I think he played football and then he set up a, a, Chelsea, yeah. a Chelsea supporters team, didn't he? And, uh, and in some way, he got his um, daughter involved, wasn't it, Peggy? Yes. She, she was very into it all as well. Yeah, I think things were just very different then, weren't they, with... Uh, relationship with supporters and clubs Mm. the famous cfc will be back with more great stories from chelsea history after this short break take on the sun with gear built to last our friends at shady rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price shady rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. That means if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us that they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. And if you're anything like me, you break sunglasses a lot, so this is helpful. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence. They have your back long after you make your purchase. Together with their customers, Shady Rays is providing much-needed support to nonprofit partners across the U.S. through Shady Rays Impact. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Shady Rays Memorial Day Sale is live right now. Go to ShadyRays.com and get 35% off all sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. That's right. Go to ShadyRays.com. Bird dogs make you look good. That's right, bird dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restrictive cotton. Bird dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So look, I've got a pair. Dan's got a pair. Nick's got a pair. We actually love them. But not only do you get bird dogs right now, if you buy, you get a free Tumblr. That's right. You get a free Yeti Tumblr. All you have to do is go to birddogs.com forward slash pool, P-O-O-L. Enter the promo code P-O-O-L for a free Yeti style Tumblr with your order. That's birddogs.com forward slash pool for a free Yeti style Tumblr. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. And Margaret, the club that you chair originally had two aims, to organise travel to the away games and to bring fans closer together through social events such as dinner dances and later discos, football quizzes and dance nights. So how has that evolved over the decades? What do you do differently now? I mean, do you do upmarket events in West End restaurants? No, no, we don't do any of that now. <laughs> <laughs> Not like the old days. Quaglinos, Barkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, even the bridge. Um... Yes. Yeah, I mean, we we still have a Player of the Year trophy, 
um, which doesn't actually get awarded now, but the the um, Gus Mears, isn't it? Gus Mears Memorial Trophy. Yeah, where is yeah. that? Where is it's that? It's here. We've got it. We've oh, got really? it. <laughs> Can you get Roy to bring it through? <laughs> Well, you want to see it? Yes. <laughs> okay, I can get it in a minute, will it? Um, I'll get Roy to get it down for me. Fantastic. So you were talking about events and, you know, how they've evolved, how they've changed. I mean, does it, does it's just changing times, I suppose, is it? Yeah, and I mean, it is changing times and it's not the sort of thing that we do anymore. We're more about communicating the views of supporters to the club. That's more our role. Yeah, so your role has definitely definitely changed like everyone yeah. says isn't it yeah well supporters live all over the place now as well didn't they don't they it used to be far more local than they are now well it's funny because i've got here i've got the a handbook from 68 one that was produced by the club by the supporters club and um i've also got one from the early 50s and what's really interesting is the names and addresses that are put in there of the officials like all the secretaries and people mm. working there almost everyone was from that catchment of yeah. just around uh, around the uh, Stamford Bridge and obviously yeah. now people come from all over the world don't they you must find that yeah well I mean even our committee now they live in uh, Brighton, Basildon, uh, just outside Brentwood, it's all the bees. We're in Brentford, <laughs> uh, Chiswick. He's, he's, he's the closest. Chiswick. Everyone's been priced out, Margaret. That's what it is. I know. <laughs> but I was very fortunate in that years ago I met Peter Ralph, who was actually one of the founding committee members of uh, right. the Supporters Club in 1948, and I'd like to read you. Uh, a few lines from the interview, if you don't mind, yeah, um, okay. because it is interesting. So this is what Peter Ralph said. At the last home match of the 1947-48 season, Burnley, on 24th of April 1948, it said in the programme that this Mr C.G. Barnes was setting up a Chelsea supporters club. I live not far from his home in Yule, got in touch, and myself and my father, Fred Ralph, went round to his house and ended up on the committee. There were just a few of us started it up and we would meet in the club room upstairs at the Britannia Hotel, uh, to uh, listeners, that's now called Kona Kai, um, after matches. And after one season, there were nearly a 1,000 members. It was called the Chelsea Away Supporters Club. There were two civil servants on the committee, myself included, and Mr Barnes was a company secretary. Um, I'm not sure that Mr. Barnes. I think he may have been called Cecil George Barnes, but I don't. I don't know if you know his first name. But anyway, I'll carry on for now. Yeah. Um, I think Mr. Barnes had got in touch with Chairman Joe Mears at Chelsea, and they had said that they would put a notice in the program about it. Anyway, I think that was the extent of the support the club gave to them. To my mind, and this is <laughs> this is Peter Ralph's view, not ours necessarily. To my mind, Mears regarded Chelsea as his own private club. And we were lucky he allowed us all to come along. The uh, Mears family were not universally popular among the fans in the 1940s. Willie Birrell was never regarded as a very good manager. Once again, these are Peter Ralph's views. Um, they would buy all these great players and we thought we would win the championship, but it never came to anything. Tommy Lawton joined and he never really tried for Chelsea. Chelsea seemed a bit of a playground for them. Tommy Walker always gave his best. 
I went to one of the supporters club's meetings once and he was a guest. Poor bloke, he was treated like a god, put on a pedestal and he looked a little embarrassed. He was always quite a humble fellow. We hoped the supporters club would make things better, but the club didn't really want to know us. I think they were worried we might get strong, try and get someone on a board and interfere with what they were doing or something, which is exactly what we wanted. What are your views on that, Margaret? <laughs> well, no, it's just happened. It's exactly. Like, no, it's to happen. <laughs> exactly. 75 years later, oh, we now amazing. have fan representation. I mean, that, that, that must be something that you're, you must feel proud for the organisation that, um, you know, you've, help to sort of create that environment with the Yeah, I mean, that board. was one thing that we were pleased with. The the original um, fan members on the board that were appointed mm-hmm. like nearly two years ago, we were honoured that we were actually invited to be part of that process of appointing them. Fantastic. So we managed, we managed all the shortlisting, not, not just us, the supporters group and supporters trust as well, yeah. but we managed all the shortlisting and the club then took over obviously with the voting um but yeah we were we were involved in that process does it surprise you then that that was a sort of unstated aim of the original of the founders of the club 75 yeah, years ago no it does i mean it does it does it surprises me even they're saying you know the club didn't want to know us <laughs> <laughs> um because i mean we went through that phase again within my time mm. when, when ken bates tried to shut us down yes and when he started off his official chelsea supporters club yeah of course of course, yes. So, um, you know. <laughs> and, but, of course, you've survived. Now, Margaret, Rick and I were talking earlier about 547 Fulham Road. Uh, what are your memories of that place? And did it ever make ends meet? Yeah, I think it made ends meet. Uh, I wouldn't say it made a huge profit, but it, uh, it made ends meet and it it gave a service to the supporters. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody remembers going up the rickety stairs to book, to book your travel. Yes. Um <laughs> And as I said earlier, you know, Peter Kemp starting people off on their... Um, on the programme uh, program swaps and stuff, yes. And uh, all the little souvenirs that you could buy in there. And it was a meeting place. Even if people weren't buying, it, the, shop, the shop was always full. People just talking. Now, Margaret, um, all those early away travel days was way before your time, but... Um, mm meet some of the old timers to hear their tales of those long long coach journeys back in the 40s and 50s have you got any stories about that not really only leaving at midnight for you know a three o'clock game and then getting <laughs> back whatever time you know it was a overnighter without stopping <laughs> uh, no motorway i've got two really good stories from that actually margaret that you might like you've probably heard them because i know you and i've talked about this a, a lot over the years but I used to do reminiscence sessions with senior blues fans at Stamford Bridge where we'd talk, uh, we'd pick a theme and we'd sort of go through, um, you know, their memories of, of the old days. And the travel, the away travel one was especially entertaining. I mean, one that I won't go into great details, but one um, older woman said that in the 60s, they were at the Britannia and they got a lock-in and it was a Friday night and there was an away match, but they... They missed the coach. I don't even think they were booked on it. But they did have a van outside, like a transit van. And they were uh, in the Britannia, and they were plinking and plonking on a piano. So they're all doing a big sort of sing-along stuff. And they were having such a great time. But one of them said, hey, I think they were playing Warsaw or someone in the Midlands. 
they said, hey, we could actually, we don't need the coach. We could get in the back of the van and go up and, um, to the game. And they went, yeah, great idea. And someone said, let's take the piano. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they picked the piano up, put it in one. the back of the van, <laughs> drove up to this Midlands uh, stadium and, of course, you know, got there way before kickoff. So they found a pub. Pub wasn't opened. The knock of shame. Are you going to open soon, mate? Yeah, sure. How many of you? Oh, I think there's eight of us. Brilliant. Yeah, of course I'll open up now. Oh, and by the way, we've got a piano. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so they, they bundled this piano uh, from Fulham into the into this new pub and they carry on doing their singing and everything. And they come back from the game and they leave the piano in the pub in the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one uh, is really, I should leave it to Peter Ralph again. I mean, but bear in mind, you're completely right, Margaret, that these, the journey could take up to 12 hours and we're talking scratchy seats, no onboard toilets, no aircon or Wi-Fi or anything like that. A really difficult journey, no motorways, of course. Um, so Peter Ralph, uh, as I said, he was one of the, first people that went on them and he said and this is what he had to say about it the away travel organized was good fun sometimes i went on my own but lots of women went in those days my mother came once that season to derby she wasn't a football fan at all i think she just wanted a day out there were no motorways then but we had no problems just use the a roads the coaches rarely more than two on a trip would travel through the night sometimes i remember for the 180 miles to Sheffield United in November 1948 we drove through the night in the early hours we passed by the famous crooked cathedral at Chesterfield the driver had made a special detour to wake us up and show us that was in the middle <laughs> of the night but they were pleased when you arrived you split up into groups of two or three you know personal friends I think we always had seats not passes for the stand some people used to hang around near the players entrance to receive free match tickets which, of course, happened a lot. The journeys were always very jolly on the way up. On the way down, it wasn't so jolly. I can't ever remember going to an away game that we won. I went to oh, Stoke dear. in October 1948, and from 3-1 up, we lost 4-3. Stoke fans got on us at that. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Does that bring back... Uh, Unpleasant memories, that's the sort of thing you would have heard of talking to some of these older oh, yes. supporters yeah. yourself. But I mean, uh, somebody, I, I told somebody that I was coming on this podcast today, and he said, Well, anybody who's got memories of travel at that time would probably be about 13 at the time to be alive now. Yes. You know, most, yeah. most of them are no longer with us, including Peter Ralph, sadly. Oh, uh, in my day, even, you know, I started traveling mid mid 70s with the sporters club i mean i've still got friends that i knew from then i mean including roy i mean that's where we met people yeah. said oh do you go to football because of roy no that's where we met you know yeah, yeah. um and, and there was one day we had a party and, and it was christmas and on the train you always had a party at christmas mm. we used to buy the food leave it in the left luggage locker at the station for picking up on the way back and we'd been hammered at Middlesbrough on this particular day, just <laughs> oh, before Christmas. And we were on the way back, but we had our party. And the commentator, Kenneth Wollstoneholm, was on our train. <laughs> and he came through, and we've got, lots of us have got photographs of him with us on the train, because he couldn't believe that we were having a party when we just got hammered. So we go, well, it's Christmas, you've got to have your party. 
So that's that's kind of one of my memories of uh, <laughs> exactly. So there's Ron Hawkins travel or Doug Graham at that point. <laughs> it was because Ron was used to uh, sell the train tickets, didn't he, on the upstairs bit at the at the shop. Yeah, five four seven. Five four seven, Fulham Road. Five four seven. Um, yeah. And I, I believe, Margaret, really, the supporters' club still helps make away fans' days easier by liaising with the police, don't you? So how does that work oh, yeah, exactly? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in two ways, really. Um, sometimes, um, Tottenham, one example. But say when we went to Leeds for the first mm. time for a while, um, we would have a meeting with. Support Chelsea Supporters Group, Chelsea Supporters Trust, us, um, and then representatives from the club. So people like Chris Baker, head of security, yeah. um, Graham Smith, ticketing, Cat Smith, who's now supporter liaison. Yeah. Um, our own um, dedicated football officer, um, Matt Hero, as it is now, and the equivalent of Leeds. So we would have a meeting on Zoom with them, okay, right, this is where you'll arrive, uh, you know, park your coaches here, mm-hmm. you're welcome in this pub, avoid this one, you know, uh, you're, the, the gates will open so long before the game starts, um, and all sorts of things like that, really. And then at the end, obviously, uh, any questions that you've got? And it works both ways. For Leeds, we did it for both games, home and away. Uh, Spurs, we do it, we did it for home and away. Um, but then I'm also part of what they call the um, Independent Advisory Group with uh, Metropolitan Police. Um, and we work with all the supporters clubs, in, or supporters clubs, supporters trusts, whatever they've got in London. Um, and we meet with the police every two months. Mm-hmm. And we can raise issues that, that, that we have with the police. It tends not to be specific things like, you know, last week this police officer did this or yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Over, Personal yeah, things. Over the past yeah, few, yeah we've, but we can do that directly because we have um, direct link to our dedicated football officer. Mm-hmm. So if we've got an issue like that, we just go directly to him. Um, but we meet with the, and they're fairly senior officers. We have a chief inspector and an inspector meets us. And we have the people who um, are responsible for monitoring supporters as they travel across London. So they have to be wary, like, you know, Leeds are coming to Chelsea, but, I don't know, Birmingham are also going to Millwall. Yes. Um, And, you know, where there could be flashpoints on the tubes themselves or at the stations. Um, We've also been part of um, the the Met Police have a drugs initiative trying to stamp drugs out of football you know mm-hmm. not the players the, the supporters yeah, yeah. Um, and things like we had an explanation about banning orders and what leads to a supporter getting a banning order and like yes. the process of uh, you know it, it's really good so we meet them every two months um i'm actually now the secretary of that and right. i work quite closely with um sue who's chair of west ham Mm. Uh, she's the supporters trust but it's it's really good and it's it's really brought there's all this and all the supporters i think sounds funny but talk to each other you (laughs) know i mean it's got good relation and you know i've got a really good relationship now with the fulham equivalent um well you know that back in the 40s they'd go to each other's you'd go to each other's dances (laughs) you can't imagine that really yeah 
But yeah, I mean, I enjoy those meetings. They're, you know, they're they're informative, and you feel as if you're letting your opinion come across as well. Excellent. The famous CFC will be back with more great stories from Chelsea history after this short break. Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened check it out my link nordvpn.com forward slash london is blue to get your subscription started today but but now your, your group's got a place on the fans forum we've got a permanent place on the fans forum yeah you're affiliated with the football supporters association and the football supporters europe and yep. in recent years two other organizations that you've already mentioned the chelsea supporters group and chelsea supporters trust that have emerged so are you like yeah. the rival cliques in monty python's life of brian not really <laughs> um no i mean we all get on really well yeah um if i'm honest i would say the trust has a different way of going about things than the supporters group and the supporters club but that's fine that's that's you know the way they want to operate but it doesn't stop us all getting on but we do work particularly closely with uh, Chelsea supporters group and Pete Trenter and all his uh, people. We we think things through the same. Um, and obviously we all issue statements. So, you know, I don't know, Todd Bowley appointed. There was a statement went out welcoming him to the club. But we all write our own statements, but, you yeah. know, they go out much the same time. And do you have a good relationship with the new owners? I would say we had a good relationship. I mean, it was one thing, because another thing that we were invited to do, we were actually invited to interview some of the um, prospective candidates. Um, again, it was only over Zoom just because of the timing of things. So we interviewed Todd Bowley's representatives, who turned out to be Daniel Finkelstein and, and uh, Barbara Sharon. Oh. <laughs> um, but we got a chance to talk to them before they were appointed. Um Again, we were proud to be part of that process. And it was one thing, it was one of the questions that we all asked was, um, you know, what about your relationships with the, with the supporters? And they were saying, yes, we want that to improve more. And that's what it has. You know, there's more contact with the supporters and supporters groups now. So I would say we have a good relationship with the, with the owners. Fantastic. We're going to have to wrap it up there, Margaret, because we're running out of time. Um, but I don't suppose you have any of those um, old silk cravats from your supporters club shop still going, no. do you? I quite no. fancy one. What do you reckon, Gary? <laughs> it suit you, Rick. You're very debonair. <laughs> no, the stock all went, unfortunately. It's quite a few years ago now. <laughs> so we're going to put up um, details about how people can uh, contact you and, and join 
join the club. But thanks so much for coming on, Margaret. Much appreciated. Okay, thanks, Rick. Been a pleasure, Margaret. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. I really enjoyed that, Rick. Um, Mm. I must have seen Margaret on so many occasions, not realising who she was over the years. Um, But what what a fantastic thing. You know what I really loved, though, was... um, when her head said, do, do you need to go on a course now to learn what to do in your retirement? <laughs> she goes, no, I'm just going to watch more Chelsea matches. Yeah, I think I'm all right for courses, thank you. <laughs> but I love the idea of the, uh, the sort of uh, that commentator, uh, Kenneth Wollstoneholm, yeah. bewildered by, by supporters, you know, as experienced as he was <laughs> with among supporters, being bewildered by Chelsea fans. Uh, celebrating a Christmas whacking. I suspect that was the 7-2 defeat, which I was at as well. Were you in part of the uh, Christmas party? No, I was not. I wasn't invited to the Christmas party. <laughs> I travelled back with Gary Mitchell, which was... Um, Our mutual friend, Gary Mitchell, yes. A long, long journey home, that was. A miserable time had by it all, apart from the Chelsea Supporters Club representatives. Well, I mean, good, good for Margaret, though. Um I mean, what dedication to put so much work in. Um, We take a lot of things that are set up, we just take for granted and we don't realise, or I don't always realise, it's people like Margaret dedicating so much time to making things good for other people. It's just brilliant work. And isn't it just wonderful that all those years ago in 1948, Peter Ralph decided to go on the original committee with Mm -hmm. a view to getting on the board of Chelsea Football Club and... In the last couple of years, that's actually happened. And the supporters club is still around. It's remarkable, really. It couldn't happen, though, if it wasn't people with the sort of responsibility that Margaret's have to, to create the right culture to actually make it possible to liaise with the club. Because if it's run by people that, I don't know, di- didn't have the ability, the communication skills, mm-hmm. then it still wouldn't work. It has to be with people who have actually set the right tone as well. Exactly. It's all very well to be adversarial and... They've yeah. had their run-ins with the club over the years, but you still have to have dialogue and you have to be smart enough to know how to get what you want rather than just be uh, thrown by the wayside. And uh, so that's a tribute to their durability. And just to say that on the uh, episode page, wherever you look at this, we'll have a link to the Chelsea Supporters Club website and their Facebook page so you can contact them and join them if you want or just find out more information about them. You've been listening to the famous CFC podcast with me, Gary Barone, and him, Rick Lanville, with very special thanks to our wonderful guest, Margaret Whittich. Now, a very happy 75th birthday to the original Chelsea Supporters Club and, of course, to the NHS. If you like the show, please subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back. And in the meantime, come on, you mighty blues. 